Welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? This is Len, aka the Bat Triple. And on this, the fourth and final stop on our Black Music Month celebration, we will spend some time with 1992's Bodyguard, significant because it is the film debut of the icon Whitney Houston, also starring Kevin Costner, as well as Michelle Mission favorite Bill Cobbs, who I thought yeah. you'd gotten third billing. This was the <laughs> choice of Lynn Webb. But before we get into the bodyguard... Let's get into uh, all the feedback that we get from each and every one of you who writes us at Mission at gmail.com and follows us on all social medias where you're watching us right now on YouTube in our Michaud Mission uh, YouTube channel as well as in the Michaud Mission Facebook group. Shout out to Aaron Fry, Maurice Popular, and Deborah Battle. How you hey, doing? Hey, what's up, folks? I see you out there checking checking us out. Um, and Vince, I, I hate to start the show with a correction, but I must. The film that we are reviewing tonight is called The Bodyguard. It is not simply Bodyguard and is not called My Bodyguard, as I have been calling it erroneously for years. It is actually The Bodyguard. So it's like a difference between Batman and The Batman? Yes. Yes. Well, there is a difference between Batman and the Batman. I As named... there's a difference between Bodyguard and the Bodyguard. Exactly. So, we are reviewing the Bodyguard. But in regards to our review last week of Sparkle from 2012, Sweet Honey Child wrote us on Instagram. All right. I like that name. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm one of your very silent but loyal listeners. Now I know I don't have to watch this remake. Appreciate you. <laughs> it's a public service. <laughs> From us to you. That's not nice. <laughs> but... But apt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do not have to watch the uh, remake of Sparkle. Uh, so thank you, Sweet Honey Child, for that commentary. Um, uh-oh, Maurice Popular says, uh-oh, we've got spicy Vince tonight. Mm. <laughs> always, always. Hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, in our Facebook group, people are always dropping stories left and right in there. And someone wrote in asking us to follow up, Vince, on our thoughts of Dave Chappelle's recent YouTube special, 846, where he gives a, I think blistering is a, is a, fair adjective to put to his commentary on the um, the killing or murder of George Floyd and the protests and that ensued from from that horrific event and all of the voices that have been popping up since then right because you hadn't seen it 
Yeah, yeah. Right. So I talked a little bit about it, but you hadn't seen it. So maybe you, you know, what, what, you know, let's start at the start. What'd you think? Well, I felt the same as you. I thought that it was very, you know, like David Dave Chappelle is a comedian first, and I, I think he is that, but I think he has also grown into a bit of a social commentator as well. Um, as you will find a lot of the best comedians kind of drift somewhere in between those spheres anyway. Um, and I think Dave Chappelle is growing more into that. What I, so in, in, uh, so looking at it from that point of view, I think it is some brilliant commentary slash comedy about what is happening. And, and, and it's not much comedy. Like you pointed out, it's not that funny. It is all just, you know, facts, 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 you know, just pile drived into your head um, about not only the horror of the murder of George Floyd, but as well as all of the other atrocities that we have been asked to just more or less, you know, uh, bear upon our shoulders in the most most recent years. Um, and in doing so, I thought it was insightful. I thought it was uh, at times incendiary. Um, but I thought that it was brilliantly done. And yet it misses its opportunity because like you, I felt that he was needlessly misogynistic in a lot of his commentary, especially in regards to, um, and now I'm drawing a blank on her name, the, the, the conservative. Oh, Candace uh, Owens. Candace Owens. Right. Now, he can have his viewpoint about her all he wants. And he actually offered a viewpoint about another woman on there as well. But um, I thought that it was very telling that I thought it was very interesting that he calls these two women decidedly out of their name, right? Like, like grossly out of their name, right? Um, basically using words for them that even most comedians stay away from, you know, and, and they're gendered insults. De definitely. It's definitely. not like he called them assholes. Right, right. They're definitely gendered in insults that he, he lays at their feet, right? These women who, if I'm getting the inference from his commentary um, correct, he also does not know personally. So it sounded like pretty much everything he was he was reacting to was what you they were doing in the public sphere. You know, whatever commentary they were offering out there on um, what was happening in these streets. And you can you can agree or disagree with what they're with what they were saying. But to be as insulting misogynistically as he was to them and yet. And this is what it, what it really hit home with me when he mentions um, the man, George Zimmerman, who killed uh, Trayvon Martin. Right. Right. 
And he mentions George Zimmerman and he speaks slightly ill of George Zimmerman, but he takes the time to mention, I don't, I don't know George Zimmerman, George Zimmerman. I just dislike the idea of George Zimmerman. Right. And I, and I think in many ways, when he's talking about the commentary that Candace Owens and other women are, are, are putting out there on these uh, conservative airwaves, I think what he actually is railing against is the idea of them as well. Yet, he doesn't frame it in that way. And in doing so, I think he opens himself up, rightfully so, for derision um, because he just comes off like a very misogynistic jerk at that time in, right. in those instances. And for me, did it, you know, um, erase everything else that he does in those 20, 22 minutes on, on screen and on that stage? No, it doesn't. But if someone was to say that it does, I could not argue because right. it's right there. And it was just unnecessary. Like, like, yeah. like it was such, it's like, uh, all right, I'm going to try a sports thing. Let me know if I get this right. It's okay. like he missed an easy layup. Yes. Like, it yes. was so easy not to even go like, especially since you've been called on this before. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, you know, I do have to say, like, maybe this is my own blind spot. I think, you know, the other woman, Laura Ingram, I honestly did Laura Ingram. Right, right. But, you know, she's a white woman. Right. And and, you know, like that's a whole different dynamic. Right. And and frankly, you, you know, white men are going to protect white women. Gotcha. But gotcha. when we're but we're living in a moment where just, you know, justifiably, I think so many of us as black men are being called to the carpet mm-hmm. because of our shortcomings in our relationships with black women. I mean, just in this special where where. It, it, it's like you talk about something, a saying like Black Lives Matter, which is like the bare minimum. But yeah. even within that, you have an even bare minimum where someone like Breonna Taylor or, or you know, even Olu Wodawan Salu, the sister who yeah. was murdered in Tallahassee. Yeah. Black women have to say underneath Black Lives Matter, say her name. Exactly. Yeah. Like you have yeah. to say, say her name. Yeah, and it's very telling that he doesn't mention Breonna Taylor on right, that, on that right. special. So to come at a black woman like that, and again, I, I I I said everything I wanted to say about her last week, and frankly, I don't like giving air to her because mm-hmm. I do think she's a fraud, and I do yeah. think that she is an opportunist. But at the same time, I'm aware of the context right. of our relationship. Right. That, you know, I'm a black man. She's a black woman. Frankly, she's a bit younger than us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that checker, describe her accurately, but you don't have to call her out her name, especially in a moment when so many of us as black men, frankly, are being, you know, challenged for our shortcomings with black women. Like, why right. do that? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it mars something that that is so brutally honest, you know? Right. You know, it's right. so brutally honest and it's so pure. And then it's like you just 
wipe a little bit of Bruh. shit on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, d- dog, you didn't have to do that. So You did not have to go there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you saw it. No, I did see it. I was I was glad that I watched it as well. Um, like I said, it was it was some powerful stuff. Yeah, definitely some powerful stuff. You know, um, so yeah, I, I encourage everybody to check it out and and see for yourself. Hey, speaking of things, did you get a chance to catch that GoGo documentary? I did not. I wanted to check that out. How was it, man? Was it, it was glorious. Really? It was really. Gl- I told you I'm not a real go-go fan, but like I got lots of people around me that are go-go fans. Mm-hmm. And I was just so happy. Like it's so like it, it was just so passionately DC. Right. Like go-go people just love go-go so much. And it, and it really was just a celebration. Okay. So, you know, I don't know if it's streaming on TV one or, you know, I know they'll play it again, but yeah, definitely catch it. That's right. The beat don't stop. That's the yeah, name of the yeah, documentary. It was, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Like like I've had I've had some opinions on Kathy Hughes over the years, but kudos to Kathy Hughes. Kudos cool. to Kathy Hughes for putting this together. Aaron Fry in our uh, on YouTube is letting us know that it is actually on again tomorrow night at nine p.m., ladies and gentlemen. So check your local listings on TV One for the Beat Don't Stop, the documentary on the uh, Go Go music. Um, according to Vince, it is worth watching so go check that out yeah it's fantastic vince did you see the trailer for the uh jonelle um janelle monet movie antebellum which will be coming out in august i've not seen the newest trailer i think i might be done with the trailers and so in that you've seen enough right i've seen enough so i just want to see it now yeah this is a new movie uh, upcoming American horror film written and directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, starring Janelle Monet, Mark Richardson, Eric Lang, Jack Houston, Kiersey Clemens. Successful author Veronica Henley finds herself trapped in a nightmarish reality which produces an anachronistic social structures and must find a way to break free. Um, this film. Um, being distributed by Lionsgate, it looks like it's definitely trying to catch the vibe of Get Out and Us, and, and you know that's why they're marketing it as the from the producers of Get Out and Us. Even though, uh, to be fair, Jordan Peele, I don't believe is involved in it. Yeah, I don't uh, think so. Yeah, yeah, but they're definitely trying to catch that that same vibe, and um, it looks interesting. One thing I will say about Janelle Monet between that and um, she's actually on this season of the Amazon show Homecoming. She's been doing more and more work uh, before the camera in the acting spheres. And she is actually uh, quitting herself very, very well. She's yeah. Doing, doing big things. And she makes interesting choices. Yeah. 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 She makes interesting choices, which, you know, I'm a big fan of 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 actors who establish themselves that they make interesting choices mm-hmm. so that yeah. it's almost like a shorthand right where it's like okay well they're in this so it's probably interesting yeah and and kudos to her because janelle Monet, you know it is you know a, a, a devastating performer um fantastic singer 
And, you know, let's, let's not, you know, let's, let's call it what it is. She is a very attractive uh, woman as well. And yet the, the, it would be very easy as a singer and a pretty singer to do like some kind of romantic comedy type of thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But like you said, she, she's going, she seems to be going a little deeper and I, and I appreciate that about her. Have you heard Vince about 36 chambers? You, you mean where the Wu-Tang Clan comes? Oh, oh, you mean the movie series? Yes. 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 yes I have heard about it. Yes. <laughs> Um, actually is 36 Chambers presents 36 Cinema a new platform it's a first of a kind uh, experience live streaming some of the uh, the favorite black movies, while well, I shouldn't say black movies, favorite movies, while bringing in respected film experts to provide live commentary. Their hope is that the live commentary will give viewers a deeper understanding and appreciation of the movies that they love. I believe they're actually reviewing tonight. I believe they're actually reviewing uh, your movie, Vince, Petey Wheatstraw. Yeah, yes, Petey Wheatstraw, Devil's Son-in-Law. That's right. Yeah, I believe they're reviewing that along with uh, Donnell Rawlings, the acclaimed actor and uh, comedian, will be reviewing that, uh, doing a live commentary along with uh, Mike Sargent. Excuse me, that is not actually this evening. That will be taking place on Friday, this coming Friday, June 26th. Um, at nine o'clock p.m., you can go to Thirty Six Chambers Cinema Thirty Six Chambers dot com for more information about that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That sounds interesting. I, yes, I like that idea. I cannot knock that idea. I'm. It sound it sounds dope. You know, having people just watching these films and you can like join in on the experience. You could pay like a little bit of money to watch the film and listen to the. Uh, that live commentary that sounds really dope i i i hope that goes well for uh rizza and all the people of Wu associated with yes that. yes the Wu association that's one of the later groups <laughs> that was during that last round you rizza's think, plumber produced it you think that perhaps we could talk them into Letting us do a night on 36 Cinema where we provide a uh, live commentary for Driving Miss Daisy. I, I would love to do it. I was thinking Ghost Dog, but we could do Driving Miss Daisy too. <laughs> sure, why not? Ghost Dog. That would be a, that would be, we'll do a double header. <laughs> a double It'll header. Be, a double dri- header. Driving, Driving Miss Daisy, Daisy and, Ghost, and Dog. Ghost Dog. The Way of the Samurai. <laughs> Maybe Frank from The Bodyguard will come and watch it since it's a samurai movie. Maybe. I see what you did there, Vince. You see what I, I, I did what there? Did. You see what Nicely I did? Nicely done. Yeah. Nicely done, Vince. Uh, Boots Riley has announced his new project, Vince. Did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. I saw that. Boots Riley is going to do a dark and absurd project starring Gerald Jerome as a 13-foot-tall man uh, in a project called I'm a Virgo, an episodic (laughs) joyride. (laughs) 
is what Boots is calling this oh. uh, venture. Boots Riley is a national treasure. <laughs> He's a national treasure. For those that don't know Boots Riley, his uh, recognize that name. He was the writer and director of the um, weird, weirdly <laughs> absurd. But very, very uh, a well-regarded film. Sorry to bother you. From yeah, uh, oh yeah, ago. oh yeah. And, one of my favorite movies that year. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and if anyone has seen that, you know that Boots Riley, he is thinking <laughs> on a whole. No- like we're we're trying to play. We're trying to catch up with Star Trek on some three-dimensional chess. He is. <laughs> I don't know where he oh, is. Uh, he's playing ninth dimensional backgammon <laughs> against like his shadow. Exactly, like him and his shadow are playing spades with the Lord. I like. Right. I don't know what oh, he's yeah. doing. Though. His game is he's on some next stuff, man. Um, yeah, I'm a Vir- just the title. I'm a Virgo, right? Like, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's the same. It's insane. I ain't mad at him though. Do Not at work, all. Bro. Not at all. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I I, I, I love this moment in black film where yeah. people, you know, just just make whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh Maurice Poplar is also reminding us that uh Boots Riley was also the longtime rapper and frontman for who, Vince? For the coup. That's right. For the That's coup. Right. Did they break up? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't just, know. I, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, I was hoping, I yeah. Seen a lot from them. yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think they could have kept up with Boots. Like, I know, I, like, I know. <laughs> I think they like, yo, Boots, we're going to be over here with Farside. Yeah, you oh, know, yeah. You want some next stuff, dog. Oh, yeah, Bay next. Area Legends. Most definitely, yes, there you go. There you go. Bay Area Legends, the coup. All right. Um, Okay, so let's. I think that's maybe all of the news that we've got right now, Vince. Um, Vince, did you did you watch the Five Bloods yet? No, I didn't. No. You know what gets me hemmed up? Like you know what gets me hemmed up? What? Like me and Wendy want to watch it together. Uh, so like getting that moment. Oh. When you know both of us can carve out the two hours, and you know I don't want to point fingers that one of us falls asleep, but <laughs> one of us, you know, like after nine thirty, you you we can't really do anything <laughs> deep. Like I'm not gonna say one of us after nine thirty is gonna fall asleep, and then the next day she's gonna ask about some details, but. If you point a finger at my wife, I'll whistle. <laughs> but I'm curious, Vince, how many things, because this is, how many things are you two actively watching together? Is it a lot or is it like. Like, like, like current shows? Well, yeah, like current shows or a movie. We, we kept up with Insecure, because the thing about Insecure is that it's a half hour. Right. So, right. so you know, I can, we usually can hit Insecure. We, you know, we watched Insecure. I'm trying to think the last thing we watched. 
together. It may, you know what? It may have been, um, was it Queen Sugar? Oh, really? Oh, the uh, Watchmen's been on since Queen Sugar, right? Yes, yes. Watchmen right, right. This, uh, this and, and I got her into Watchmen. Mm-hmm. So we watched Watchmen. But that's really it. Yeah. You know, religiously. Okay. Okay. We caught we've we've caught a couple episodes of um All Rise. Okay. Yeah. You know, shout okay. out okay. to Simone. Okay, so you you, you finally know, you checked it out. Right, shout cool. out to Simone, yeah. Um Have you watched but, Life? Have you watched Life? I, it's an hour. So is All Rise. I know, but it but that's kind of it's not I don't want to say light, but it's a little lighter than 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 life. And it is episodic. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, 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 so again, now we run into the sleep issue. <laughs> Aaron Fry said, "Bro, you're not that old." It's not me, Aaron. <laughs> it's not me. I'm up till midnight. <laughs> you know, it ain't me. <laughs> you might, you might want to lower your tone or close that door, Vince. I don't want. No, I know. I, I know. I want no. Sh- I want no shoe coming at you, dog. I know, I know. Yeah, you know, look. My wife is an early bird, so she's up early. So that also means that she'll go. You know what? I have to find this clip. I have to find this clip. I was watching Richard Pryor live in concert the other night. Right. This is from right. 1979. And it's funny because uh, me and uh, my lady, we fell down a rabbit hole. She, We turned on Eddie Murphy's Delirious. Okay. Um, and she hadn't seen that in for like ever. I don't think like she had seen it since she was a kid. So watching it again, she was like taken in by how, you know, like, you know, one, like how many jokes you just couldn't say now. Right. Um, and then you then. Eddie says that he's 22 years old. And she's like, oh, my God, Eddie Murphy is 22 years old here. My guy it's crazy. So we watched that. And then she, we got in a rabbit hole of comedy. So we saw Richard Pryor. And she said, I've never really watched a Richard Pryor movie. And I said, well, let's watch this. And mind you, this was a movie. This was actually released in the, in the theaters. Oh, yeah. So we watched it. It's from 1979. And I have to find this clip. And if I find it, I'll put it here in the show. I'll uh, plug it here into the show so people listening can check it out. Richard Pryor does a joke in 1979, not only about being afraid of the cops, not only about worrying about whether the cops are going to kill him, but he even mentions there that because cops got this chokehold dog that they will throw on brothers like in a heartbeat and just take them out. Then the police came. I went in the house. Because they got magnums too. And they don't kill cars. They kill niggas. Police got a chokehold they use out here though, man. They choke niggas to death. That mean you be dead when they threw. Right, you, did you know that? Wait, the nigga's going, yeah, we know wife. Oh, no, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, two grab your legs, one grab your head, it'll snap. Oh, shit, he broke. <laughs> can you break a nigger? Is it okay? Let's check the menu. Yep, page eight, you can break a nigger right there. See? Let's drag him downtown. Okay. 
Oh yeah. And they got them dogs yeah. that sick on your ass. It was like it was like it was like crazy, man. It was we were sitting there watching it. It's like, wow, this is nineteen seventy nine. This is over forty years ago. Look, man, it's it, we don't even want to go down that path. Yeah, we like, don't even want to go down. Like, that I road. feel like you can pull out some Robert Johnson from the '30s talking about it. You know, jazz singers from the mm-hmm. '40s. I, I look, this thing with the police in old isn't new. That's true. It's yeah. after 1979. My daughter has discovered a different world, and she watched the episode a couple of nights ago about the LA riots. Oh yeah, but it's the same language it's the same complaints and then you know the really sad part is there's a moment in the episode where like Dwayne or Whitley like like one of the characters says you know we're dealing with this right now mm-hmm. so that our children won't have to deal with it yeah and Camille is like well they were like your age and I'm your child I'm like yeah here we are that's right so yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dominique Dominique is saying a different world is the best and it holds up. I, I was just about to say, and it actually holds up. It really does. That's it really good. does. So shout I'm, out to Debbie Allen. Yes. We're we're in the last season now, and I want him to go real slow because the last two episodes make me real sad. Cause Ron and Dwayne get into a fight. Oh yeah, they almost like uh tear apart their yeah, friendship. Yeah, right? yeah. It's 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 terrible. I so. remember that, dog. I remember that. Yeah. I still remember. I think I shared this story on um, the Michelle mentioned before that one day I was watching the um, watching Different World, and it I, it wasn't like the last episode, but it was an episode where those two had gotten into like some kind of like tiff with one another, right? Some kind of like mad at each other. And then they settled it on the basketball court at the end of the episode, right? And I'm sitting in my basement watching the show, and um, I had just done like a show with my partner Jay, because you know he was my rap partner, so we had just did a show like that weekend or something like that. Um, and I saw them too, and I called up Jay, and I was like, "Yo, man, you watch a different world?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, of course." I'm like, yo, man, it's me and you, dog. It's me and you, dog. Me and you. You my man, man. He's like, all right, bro. I'm like, hang up. <laughs> but that was man speak for I love you too. It was. That's what it was. <laughs> I, I, I love. I love. I love my boy Jay. What's up, Jay? What's up, dog? All right. Okay. All right. Enough of that. <clears throat> enough of that. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Back. <laughs> Back now. Now. Now it's time. Now it's time to <laughs> review The Bodyguard. <laughs> we'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Brent Farmer to see Miss Marin. What? Alexander Graham Bell to see Miss Marin. All right. Bill said he used to be with the Secret Service. 
That was two years with Carter, four with Reagan. Reagan got shot. Not on my ship. All my colors. You don't look like a bodyguard. This is my disguise. <laughs> well, his timing's good. Henry, I've spent a lot of time guarding people all over the world, and I found one thing to be true. No matter how incompetent the assassins, no matter how much they miss their target, right? there's one person who always gets hit. Who? The cocky black chauffeur. You afraid I might get picked off from my snazzy running suit? No, I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to jog with you. Someone was in my house? <laughs> Wait a minute, someone was in my house? Everybody's afraid of something. That's how we know we care about things. When we're afraid we'll lose it. How about you, Frank Farmer out there on the edge? Rachel, I don't want to get confused about what I'm doing here. I'm not confused. You pay me to protect you. That's what I do. Then what is it? I'm afraid of not being there. <laughs> 1992's The Bodyguard, a romance drama directed by Mick Jackson is the story of best-selling pop diva Rachel Marin, played by Whitney Houston, who has a stalker whose obsession has risen to the level of disturbing threats. At the urging of her manager, Rachel hires former Secret, eight, Secret Service agent Frank Farmer, played by Kevin Costner, as her bodyguard. Initially resented and treated with disdain for his hard-nosed security procedures, Farmer soon becomes an, an integral part of Rachel's inner circle. As they spend more time together, client and protector become closer still. Released in 1992, directed by Mick Jackson, written by Lawrence Kasdan, a script that had been bouncing around Hollywood for over a decade, again starring Kevin Cosner and introducing Whitney Houston. The Bodyguard is our last film this month in Black Music Month. Lynn, what do you have to say about 1992's The Bodyguard? Well, I'm going to start talking about 1992's Bodyguard by going back in time to the late 60s when this film was written by uh, the writer Lawrence Kasdan. Okay, now he wrote this film originally as a vehicle for then leading man Steve McQueen. Um, mm -hmm. Steve McQueen, most popularly known for the 70s action film Bullet, mm. also for the Great Escape. Uh, mm. He's also in the Towering Inferno as well. Mm. Uh, Steve McQueen is a uh, a man for, for Cool Hand Luke. No, not Cool Hand Luke. That's Paul Newman. Um, uh, he was also in the uh, the Magnificent Seven. That's what he was in. Um, Steve McQueen, a man of few words, an action an action star, a a a man's actor at that yes. time in the sixties and seventies, right? And Lawrence Kasdan wrote this for Steve McQueen, um, and. In the role 
of the 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 singer because he always envisioned this being some singer, some superstar singer. He envisioned that role to be filled by Diana Ross. Right. Now, he had trouble getting this film made because it was deemed as too controversial. Right. Which it's not hard to imagine because this was a film about a white man falling in love with a black woman whom he has to protect. Right. And and that was deemed as too controversial, so the movie doesn't get made. It bounces around Hollywood, as you mentioned, Vince. Um, but Diana Ross is still interested in doing this film. This is around the time in the, now we're going to the early to mid-70s, when Diana Ross is um, solidly a solo artist, and a solo artist of some renown. She's got many Grammys and, and platinum records on her on her wall, you know, and in that only have her name. So she's solidly, you know, past the Supremes. Making her way in movies by way of Lady Sings the Blues and Mahogany. So she wants to do this role as well and feels like this will be a perfect vehicle for her and her lover, star Ryan O'Neill, mm. who was the star of Paper Moon. Yes. Uh, and and um, the um, What's Up Pussycat with uh, Barbara Streisand. Um, <laughs> and it looks like this movie is going to get made. That's right. But... When a couple gets together to produce a film, sometimes that has a way of revealing the cracks in the union. And Mm. thus, as their relationship crumbled, so did this project. And it just laid there until Kevin Costner (laughs) comes upon the scene and picks it up and says, hey, I think I can do something with this. I'm starting, I'm become a name in the, in the movies here in the mid eighties to uh, late eighties and early nineties. I think I can do something as I start to produce films. I think I can do something with um, the bodyguard. And it just so happens that at the time that he comes upon this script and this project is right at the time that a young Whitney Houston is taking the world by storm. Primarily with a voice that no one can deny is touched by an angel. She is lighting up the stages. She is lighting up videos. She is lighting up um, uh, uh, concert halls all across the country. She is poised to become the number one performer in the world, right? And this is lockstep with her career, okay, to make this move, this transition to build upon my brand, I want to do a movie as well. Kevin Costner says, you know, I think I have the movie for you. Presents this to Whitney Houston's people. She loves it. They sign on and the we are off and running with the bodyguard. Kevin Costner in 
wanting to uh, pay homage to the original inspiration for the role, Steve McQueen, a actor who he had some renown for as well, cuts his hair to style <laughs> after Steve McQueen in this film. Yeah, right? yeah, he does. Yeah, Kevin uh, Costner, who has studied under the books of Steve, McQu- Steve McQueen for this role, also had reads about how Steve McQueen would famously look at the, his scripts and literally start crossing out lines because he was would um, see scenes where he could do more by showing than telling. Yeah, and Kevin Costner does that with the bodyguard most famously in the scene in the kitchen where he um, checks Whitney Houston's original bodyguard, Tony. That was a, a scene that was originally had more dialogue in it. But Kevin Costner famously said, no, I can do more by just showing. Yes. And, and does an homage to Steve McQueen in that way. And Kevin Costner, who is an actor of some renown and some an actor of pedigree and an actor of some chops, an actor who I actually enjoy for the most part when I see him in a project. He actually is a oh welcome boy. presence on the screen, does uh, a good amount of heavy lifting in this film. And I think he is pretty magnetic in <laughs> this film. I do. I really do. I think that... Um, all of the actors are around him. Uh, you mentioned um, Bill Cobb, who is definitely a Michelle Mission uh, favorite here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Ralph Waits, who plays his father. You know who um, Gary Kemp, who plays uh, Whitney Houston's character Rachel Marin, plays her despicable publicist Cy. Yeah. Um, Michelle Lamar Richards, who plays. Uh, her sister, Nikki, Mike Starr, who plays Tony. I think everybody in this film, including Devon, little Devon Nixon, who plays uh, the son, actually orbits around Kevin Costner and to varying degrees of expertise and skill levels. But I think for the most part, they are rising to the occasion of acting against Kevin Costner to the betterment of this film. I think the the director Mick Jack Mick Jackson, not a director of any note, but I don't think that he gets in the way of this film. I think it is a movie that the second it comes on, and the second you understand what the movie is about, is about this pop singer who has who's being threatened, and she has to hire this body, this ex Secret Service agent to be her um, bodyguard. I think, and you know that it's a thriller slash romance. The beats kind of writes itself. You kind of sure. know where the story is going. There's a, a couple of, um, you know, red herrings that it throws towards the end that if I'm being honest, when I re- remember watching this back in 1992, caught me out of the blue. Um, but now watching it, I can see how things are kind of like set up and I can see how it's, it's all being set up to play out at the end. But you already you already know where the story is going. It's all about now. It's all about how does it present it to 
to you? Does it do a good job of presenting the story to you? And I think that for the most part, the director, Mick Jackson, and the all of the production work does a fair, a fair job getting over this very late 80s feeling, but it is mm-hmm. early 90s thriller, right? Yep. Um, romantic thriller. The only time that Kevin Costner and Mick Jackson do this film a disservice is behind the scenes. Because as in learning about this film, you learn that Whitney Houston, who, let's celebrate her right now, with this soundtrack, which is an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, oh yeah. And is rightfully, ladies and gentlemen, the best-selling soundtrack of all time. And that is all 100% thanks to the magnificence of Whitney Houston and her voice. When she goes to Kevin Costner and Mick Jackson about taking on this role and the challenges that she's going to face in um, taking on such a a meaty role, you know, the co-lead in this film against Kevin Costner um, as her feature film debut, she goes to them and says, hey, I want to take acting lessons. And Kevin Costner and the director, Mick Jackson, say, no, Whitney, we want you just to be natural. And I think with that one direction, they set her up for failure in this film. Because I think that as a whole, on a whole, myself, I don't think Whitney Houston is terrible in this right. movie. I think Whitney Houston, there are some scenes where Whitney Houston actually is, you know, you know, okay in this film. But I think more often than not, her naivete as an actor uh, shows in scenes, especially when she's up against Kevin Costner, but even in scenes where she's up against someone else in the film. And I think that is um, a shame because what easily I think could have been a five-star movie that knocks it down to a good three and a half, maybe even three-star movie in some people's estimation. Um, Because there, like I said, the story you've seen before but there are beats in this moment, in this movie, that people are selling and that if Whitney Houston is just a little bit stronger of an actor, it gets over so much more. It just lands so much more. Um, the scenes where she's singing, the scenes where, you know, um, that are are wordless, she carries them because she has a face that... Um, that wears her emotions. So she knows what emotions she's supposed to portray. She gets those over, but it's when she has to, she has to play a a line, give a line reading that it, um, the film suffers 
uh, a bit. And um, it's a shame because on the whole, I love the film. It's just another one of those films that also rings as a missed opportunity because it could have been so much more. Right. You know, I think it's interesting talking about Whitney Houston's acting because I think what do we what do you have? we have this waiting to exhale, mm-hmm. the preacher's wife, yeah. and Sparkle. Yeah. So at this point, we've now talked about three of her four films, mm-hmm. and I think that I liked her better than you did in um, the preacher's wife. Yes. I think we both agreed that that you know she's listless and and you, you know frankly she's dying. Yeah. In um sparkle. sparkle. I liked her best in Waiting to Exhale. Yeah. And yeah. and and I think Whitney Houston in Waiting to Exhale is similar to one or two actresses that we've talked about before and and the one that jumps in my mind is Queen Latifah where oh, okay. I think when she is with other black women there's this warmth and this naturalism that as you said they were going for in this film that comes through. Uh, you know, I think she's okay in this film, much like you. And I think a lot of it is she's basically playing a version of herself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she's playing a version of herself, obviously the singing, but you also get the sense just how she navigates the people around her. Yeah. Yeah. Like you look at her, the, the various relationships, like they never actually define who Bill Cobbs is in her life. Right. But you get right. the sense he's an older uncle. You, you know, I assume he, she would call him dad if it was her father. But but you could sense this is somebody who has been in her career since the beginning. Yeah, I sense he was he was probably her manager. Right. You know, her publicist, you get the, you know, they they actually said this is almost a family. Even Tony mm-hmm. who is the initial security so and and you get the sense with with Whitney Houston, this is kind of how she did her life, right? So that I, I think that worked much like you. I think the direction was nothing to write home about, but it didn't get in the way. I will say this: the one thing that I really admired about Mick Jackson is that he trusted Whitney Houston, the musician, and you'll notice we don't see her actually perform. Mm-hmm. for almost 40 minutes like we see videos yeah. of her we see her performing through the, the the monitor but we don't actually see her on stage yeah until the film has been on for a significant amount of time and then you know it gets steadily you know it, it builds steadily and even with the 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 you know i will always love you mm-hmm. which i had forgotten how they seeded it in the script oh okay the version in the film is not the the epic that we all know, right. which I thought was really well done. It's not I even the original version of the song. It, well, it's not the original version of the song, but it's not the Whitney Houston version. Right. Like, right. you know, you right. don't get that crescendo like you get when, when they were playing it on the radio every five minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, they trusted it. Uh... You know, I, I you know, I, I think, I think the Kevin Costner as Steve McQueen has been an ongoing source of conversation about this film since it came out. It's it's kind of interesting. You look at the reviews 
Mm-hmm. And there's all this, you, you know, Kevin Cosner is playing. And, and you know, I, 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 I just don't get Kevin Cosner. Really? Like, you don't like Kevin Cosner? You know what Kevin Cosner is? Kevin Cosner is potato bread. Oh, Vince. Well, that's God like potato bread. You remember the first time you had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on potato bread? That's true. It's a, and it's you a said, thing. this is some amazing white bread. And then somebody said, oh, it's not white bread. It's potato bread. <laughs> and you said, wow, this is the best white bread I've ever had. <laughs> and that's Kevin Cosner. Like, no, he's not. <laughs> look, he's not. look, Kevin Cosner is tall. Yeah, he's he maybe tallish. I don't know how tall he is. I, I mean, he's tall for show business. I think he's like six one, six two. Uh, that's tall for show business. That's true. And he's a white guy, <laughs> but like, <laughs> like the like the misfire of Kevin Cosner as Steve McQueen. And we've talked about Steve McQueen before. Steve McQueen was one of the coolest cats to ever be in front of a camera. Okay, I give so you so like that. Steve McQueen. <laughs> Can go through scripts and cross out words. <laughs> like, when's the last time you watched Bullet? When's the last time you watched Bullet? I just watched Bullet. I just watched Bullet. How last much month. of Bullet is Steve McQueen just walking around in that black turtleneck <laughs> with the gun? Yes, it's true. Just being cool. Kevin Cosner could never. Okay. Be Steve McQueen. Okay. okay, fair enough. You know what? I thought about you. There's a moment in here because Larry Kasdan, when he talks about this script, says that he he was inspired by Yojimbo. Yes. Which is yes. the famous Kurosawa film, Samurai film. And they actually show four seconds of it. Mm-hmm. When they go to the movie, they go and see it. And they show, and I, oh my goodness, because he's my man. I just lost his name. I just lost his name. It was right. Uh, I just had Yo Jimbo up and I'm and I moved it because um <laughs> Damn it, Lynn. I just had oh, I got so many things open. Oh, and Toshiro M- 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 uh, Mifuni, who plays okay. who plays in those four seconds, Toshiro Mifuni has more charisma <laughs> than Kevin Costner does the entire movie. Like they show him pull out the sword and he cuts the dude. And I said, well, shit, now I want to watch your Jimbo. <laughs> okay. 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 I'll give and, you that. And, and in my mind, that is just as much of a detriment to Whitney Houston's performance because Whitney Houston is, is bouncing off of this character. Right. And not for one moment do I understand why she is drawn to this plank of wood. <laughs> well, I can understand to a degree. Okay. All right. All right. All right. First of all, first of all, first of all, <laughs> you know, now, Shake Shack, Shake Shack puts his burgers on potato rolls too. And you're like, this is a good, this is the best hamburger roll I ever had. And they're like, yeah, it's a potato roll. First of all, first, first of all, 
Now, every time I see Kevin Costner, all I'm going to see is a Martin's roll of potato bread. <laughs> right. It's not marble rye. It's not wheat. Okay. You ca- I agree that you cannot compare Kevin Costner to Steve McQueen <laughs> on the charisma scale. Okay? I'll give you that. All right? And... Perhaps there are some scenes where I too questioned, you know, does she have her contact lenses on? <laughs> what is what in fact is she looking at? Even though to be fair, there were times where I was questioning, what are you looking at, bruh? But anyway, um I I can understand story-wise, though, as someone who starts off the film oblivious, really, to the amount of danger that is around her. Okay. And then is um, slowly being made aware of how much her and her son's life are threatened. And the person who is telling her this is also the same person who has pledged that he will take a bullet for her. I can see how someone can be drawn to that. It's much in the same way they they speak of um, people falling in love with uh, a fireman that pulls them from a fire or their doctor. You know, that's fair. That's fair. so I can I can I can see that, especially because not only is he someone who is protecting her, but he's someone who, despite her better her better wishes, is turning her life upside down, but she can tell that it's for the better. She sure. can tell this is someone who is making a connection with her son as well. And that can be very attractive to to someone. So that's fair. I, I think I that's can, fair. I can appreciate story wise. I was about to say the him. script. Yeah. The yeah. other thing, and and I'm so surprised that I even have to say this because because I knew you were going to say it. This movie is way too long. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This movie is way too long. Like I kept looking. First of all, why they had to go up into the mountains? Yeah, that was. I think that that's. It's really weird if you don't go if you go up into the m- mountains and the movie doesn't end there, you and know? it doesn't do anything. Like like they're still attacked. Now they just up in the mountains. I actually thought she was gonna get get outed. I said, "Up, oh, all right, go on up in the woods. You about to get get outed." Yeah, yeah. That that doesn't do anything. Actually, the 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 mountain, the scene in the mountain, only serves to um the only service that it does to the film is to uh reveal her sister Nikki as being complicit in all the shenanigans that's going on. But I don't know. I kind of figured that out pretty early too that that she was in on it. Like she didn't quite twirl her mustache. But no, she didn't. But close. Like well, she's certainly- always She's always in the shadows, staring daggers at her. 
Maybe, but I don't think you ever thought that she was like taking a hit out on her. Right. I mean, you know what else I like? Put, what? She still wanted to kill Rachel. <laughs> she was sad that her nephew was going to get hurt. But at no point did she say, I don't want to kill Rachel anymore. She just said, I just would never her. hurt the baby. I would never hurt that baby boy. Just her. Just her. Her. I can't even sit on the dock and sing about Jesus without her coming behind I, me and out singing me. <laughs> How many of us haven't been there when we're just alone <laughs> in our thoughts? Right. You know, just singing a little ditty to ourselves. And then all of a sudden, the Beyonce in our family got to come. Right. Your oldest. <laughs> and I know. <laughs> He watches me. I said, damn, Rachel, read the room. Like, she couldn't, like, just come in and just sing, join harmony. No. Right. She, <laughs> all of a sudden, it had to be only the Apollo. Right. Like, or, or just sit down next to her silently and hold her hand. Right. Right. See, see I, I, I might have had to kill her there, too. I was so. about to say. <laughs> I was like, her sister actually makes good points. She perhaps may may have had to die at that right. point as well. But um, yeah, this film is crazy long. If you only cut, um, and it's, it's a shame. Some, uh, <laughs> uh, oh my god! Let me tell you, watching these watching these movies with with uh, with my lady has been a hoot um, because <laughs> she's like. She literally like has a whiteboard as we're watching it, and she's <laughs> marking every time that Whitney Houston seems to fall in love, you know, with Kevin Costner, and then he'll do one thing, one very like innocent thing in the in the in the service of his job, and then all of a sudden he's the biggest jerk on earth, and it <laughs> happens like about. Six times throughout yeah. the movie, all the way to the end. Yes. Even at the end, she's still riding him about something. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, if you only cut off like about two of those moments, you've cut a half hour off this film. The the story kind of just, it, it just kind of, it, it's middling. Yeah. Like there's not yeah. a lot of movement at, at, at so like you said, you know the beats. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to be some type of reversal. Somebody in her camp is in on it. Yeah. Yeah, and the the other thing that this film is missing, I will say this. Is, and mind you, I gave it like about a three and a half, right? I think that's I think that's a fair rating. And I think I think that's fair. And and to be honest, it gets that half point because the soundtrack is so because the soundtrack is so mind blowing and to Whitney's credits, the scenes where she is singing they st- I still feel a flush in my cheeks when she is singing. Oh, yeah. When, oh, when yeah. she is at the club singing, I got the stuff that you want. I, I Every time I see that scene, I, it, I, it, I feel it. I, 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 I'm a Whitney Houston fan, but I, I don't kneel at the altar of Whitney Houston. And right. I, think I'm, I think I'm like a lot of people like – you know, we like Whitney, but when we really think of Whitney, we're thinking of her more mid-tempo and um, ballad songs. But that one song, 
that song, the 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 fire of that song, she she gets that song over, um, and it 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 really hits me. She 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 is great in that. But the the other missing part about this film, and you kind of touched on it, is that it's thrilling enough. <laughs> And I guess it's romantic enough. But when you put romance and thrilling together, usually the X in the middle is sexy. Yes. And this movie is not sexy. No. At all. And that no. is what's missing from the film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think they have any chemistry at all. I, I think I think your argument about the story is a really good one. And mm-hmm. frankly, I wish the script would have leaned into that more. Like, yeah. I wish there was some acknowledgement. You know, you're not my type. I usually don't go for planks of wood, but right. you're trying to save my life. Or, you know, I don't really date black ladies, but you and I have this thing going on. I actually was surprised they 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 consummated the relationship and fairly early in the film. Yeah. I mean, part yeah. of it is the film is too damn long. But then, I, I mean, just story-wise, I thought it was an interesting choice that they didn't try and, and lean on this kind of electricity of mm-hmm. that will they, won't they. Yeah. And then maybe yeah. you get a passionate kiss at the end. So I thought that was an interesting choice. Now yeah, something I, I did now now something I, I I did wanted to I want to spend a little time on. I, I think it's worth circling back to the fact that this script was always meant to be an interracial couple, right? With a black woman and a white man, and something that came up this afternoon in my house was that necessary? Mm. Like, could Whitney Houston's character have been played? By, you know, I don't know, Celine Dion. Mm-hmm. Or could 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 Kevin, Kevin Cosner's character have been played by Denzel Washington? Right. Like, does it change the film if it is two white people or two black people? That's a good question. That's a good question. It kind of came up on between uh me and my lady as well. Um I, I don't know. I think that I think it does change it because the lack or the middling chemistry between Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston, notwithstanding, I think the um, the story of one, a white man having to protect a black woman and then falling for that black woman um, is does carry a different weight to it than if it is reverse, than if it is a black man falling for a white woman. Right, but I'm, I'm saying take if you remove the racial dynamic altogether, so that's why I said if you have two black, yeah, maybe I wasn't clear. I'm saying if if both characters are black or both characters are white, um, do you think that changes it? 
I don't think it necessarily changes the story. I think it maybe changes. I think it changes. I I, I don't think you have the same subtext. I think there okay. is a subtext that is that is there in this film. I don't think it it gets over as well as it as well as it could have. Um, but I think it's absent if you have two white people or two black people. I don't okay. think subtext is there. I agree. I agree. I, I I think, and even now I'm articulating it really for the first time in real time. I, I think this sense that they come from different worlds mm-hmm. is is sort of um, underlined by the racial difference. Yeah, yeah. And too. frankly, I think Frank's frankly <laughs> Frank's character being ex Secret Service and then going back into that field. Mm-hmm feels very much like a white male authority role. Okay. You know, okay. it's kind of like in the Matrix where all the agents were white men. Mm-hmm. Because it would have been weird if one of them was like a white woman or or like, you know, I don't know, a Puerto Rican man. It was like, right. that, this feels weird. So, and, and then this diva singer, uh, again, I, I think the... um. I think the original diva, the way we think about a diva is always Diana Ross. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of has to be a black woman. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has to be a black woman. Uh, Catrice Greer. She actually agrees with me. Hey, that's one for the good guys. Uh, (laughs) The subtext would be, the subtext would be different if the races of the main characters were a different combination. So thank you, Catrice. Yeah. Uh, that's why she's my, you know, one of my favorite missionaries. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I've known her longer though, so there. That don't mean nothing. I uh, apparently not. <laughs> uh, hey Vince. Yes. Is is this a black film? Well, that's that's sort of what I was getting to. I think I just talked myself into saying it is a black film. Right, because yeah. I think any other, I think if you mess with the the racial composition of the characters, you've now changed the movie. Yeah, I I agree too. I um well, first of all, I th- I do think that it's a black film because I think that Whitney Houston being the lead in this film, especially where she is in her career at this moment in time. I think is a very monumental thing. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, her, what she brings to the table in this film, by way of her star power and by way of her uh, the soundtrack, um, is you know, it it is not to be denied. And and let's face it, it is record shattering. Like I said, it's the number one sound, selling soundtrack of all time. Um, so I think. In much of the same way that we've talked about some of the films of Denzel and Will Smith that easily could be cast with Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt and you wouldn't change anything, yet we still consider them black films because they are the lead. Whitney Houston as the co-lead in this film and the and and not just co-lead, she is the meat, uh, you know, the, the, the meat of the story 
makes this a black film. Never mind what we just talked about, about, you know, the subtext of the story and everything like that. I think just her presence in this film makes this decidedly a black film. Easily. I, I agree. I agree. And, and, and furthermore, I, I think, as we mentioned earlier, we really only have four films with yeah. Whitney Houston. You yeah. know, we only have four films. And of those four films, I think two of them, this and, and Waiting to Exhale, you really get a snapshot of the iconic Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think, we, you know, we talked about Sparkle and, and, and even though I liked her more than you did in A Preacher's Wife, I still think there's a bit of a shadow over her by right. the time you get to A Preacher's Wife. But when we think about Whitney Houston, the icon, when we think about what made Whitney Houston more than just a singer, mm-hmm. I think this is a great representation of that. As as you and I both said, she does okay acting, but as soon as she sings. And yeah. and a lot of that, this is a testament to Mick Jackson, mm-hmm. where I think he does a great job capturing some of that energy. I, I think just just for for its 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 role as documentary footage almost of this yeah. icon. Is definitely yeah. a black film. And I think we should be fair um, and give Whitney her, her just due in reading the backstory of this film. I think it, it is fair to mention that during the course of filming The Bodyguard, uh, she actually suffered a miscarriage and oh, had, yeah. to, had to miss a few weeks of um, uh, filming. So it's... it it. With that in the back of your mind, that also may speak to some of uh, her performances in some scenes, depending on when they were shot. Um, right. What she was going through um, physically and as well as emotionally um, at that time. A uh, so. point of clarification. Aaron Fry pointed out that she also plays the fairy godmother in Cinderella. The, the television f- version. Oh, does she? Okay. Yeah, I always forget okay. about that because you know she's a fairy godmother. But but yes, yeah, yeah, she was also. Is, is that but the I one think with that's, Brandy? Yeah, but I think that's iconic for a certain age group. That's oh, come no, up before. You. Yeah, that that's come up before that Brandy Cinderella. Yeah, I feel you. Um, also, this is just a, a little interesting piece of trivia, Vince. The what I consider iconic, maybe you don't consider it iconic. The iconic movie poster for The Bodyguard, which I'll show to the people checking us out on YouTube and Facebook right now. Oh, yeah. That it's iconic, a great image. The great image. That's not Whitney Houston. Oh. That is, that is actually her body double. Whitney oh. Houston was unavailable at that time. And, uh, who knows? She may have actually been in um, dealing with uh, her physical um, situation that, that I just mentioned. Um, that is her body double. Kevin Costner just directed her to hide her face, but still try and show the fear. And oh. that was, and the image was so good. They used it for the, um, for the movie poster. Well, that is a nice little tidbit, Lynn. Yeah. Look yeah, at you so. pulling out the research. Well, you know, 
<laughs> so, someone's got to do it. Yes. Right? Yes. So, Vince. Yes. Would you recommend people watch The Bodyguard? I would. I think you have to. Just once. Yeah. Just once, though, because it's long. And and I don't know if it justifies its length. But yeah, it's, you should watch it once. It's long, but I will say more so than watch it. I do think of this is a film that is worth owning. Um, oh. I do. Because while I think that you could easily own the soundtrack and take in the magic of the soundtrack, I think that there are a couple of moments in this in the film that, like you said, are not only iconic images of Whitney Houston, but they're almost iconic performances of some of these songs, you know? Yeah, um, And even with the stylized editing that is done in the film, like how many of us, I mean, I guess maybe some of these you could see the music video, but it's not the same. Um, how many of us, when you think about this movie, think about when she's singing, you know, uh, you know, if I don't have you and that that great shot when her name, Rachel, goes off in fireworks at the top of the hotel. You know what I mean? Um, I think about that all the time. I think about her on stage at the club, all like decked out in her armor and all of that. Um, uh, I just a lot of times when I do think of Whitney Houston, I find myself going to images from this film. So I, I think that is worth owning. Okay. Know? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, 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 I really Full-throated don't. recommendation from Lynn Webb. Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week on the Michelle Mission, I invite you to send all of your feedback, comments, and commentary. Email us at the Michelle Mission. Uh, excuse me. Email us at Mission at gmail.com. Micho is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X, M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. And you can also like and follow us on all the social media. Just type in the Micho Mission and you'll find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And join the Facebook group, also called Micho Mission, where we have a lot of fun with all of our missionary friends. Friends, The Michelle Mission is available as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM Philly Cam. Philly Cam. Here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up with The Michelle Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. The Michelle Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network. The Podglomerate curated podcast just for your listening pleasure. And you can check us out any place that you look for podcasts. Look for The Michelle Mission and you'll find us. And when you do, please, if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a review because that helps people find our show. And if you don't find our show there, then why are you listening there? Go someplace else. But if that is your home for podcasts, then tell the powers that be that you want your mission and you want it now. Make it so. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Vince. Um, All right. And- Oh. Just a uh, uh, quick aside to my friend and missionary, uh, George Camona. Hey, what's up, George? George, 
There will be a Spock adjacent coming your way relatively soon. Stay tuned, brother. He's been <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, 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 he's been waiting, and it's coming, George. It's coming. Live long, prosper. <laughs> <laughs> Live long. Live long enough, and another Spock adjacent will come. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, Vince. I believe it is your turn to choose our film. I believe for the so. Mission. I believe so, and I've enjoyed the music month so much that I want to have a bit of an encore. No, no, you really, 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 Vince, really. I mean, it's a little bit of an encore. It's not quite an encore, but we have been circling around her. She has been the subtext and the text for at least three of the last films that we've talked about. We've already done the rest of her filmography, so I want to go ahead and finish it up. 1975, directed by Barry Gordy, starring Billy D. Williams, Anthony Perkins, and yes, the boss, Diana Ross. Next week, Lynn, Lynn, yes. do you know where you're going to? <laughs> do you like the things that life is showing to showing you? Where are you going to? Do you know? We are watching Mahogany. Okay. All right. Wow. Hey, Lynn. Wow. Hey, Lynn. Directed by Barry Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me this show is going to write itself, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> When's the last time you saw Mahogany? Oh, um, uh, it came out in 1975. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe saw it when it hit the TV in 1976 on a Sunday night movie. That's the last time I've seen it. All right. Well, then you're almost coming into a fresh, aren't you? Wow. I remember... I do remember watching Mahogany and saying, I'm not supposed to be watching this film because I think like, <laughs> like right. her, bare, her bare shoulder was out or something like that. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not supposed oh, to be yeah. watching this. Oh, yeah, because she has spiraled out of control. She has spiraled out of control. Brian had to come to Rome. Oh, Lynn. boy. Lynn. Yes. Success is wonderful. But it means nothing. If you don't have someone you love to share it with, you remember that. Mahogany, next week, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> here on the Michelle Mission. Until then, he's Vince, I'm Len, and in parting, we say... We'll see you when it's time to meet again. Dominique Dominique said, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. See you, ladies and gentlemen. Stay safe. Be well. We'll talk to you. Now it's time to bid adieu It's been a pleasure knowing you I'll see you when it's time to meet again